G'day everyone. Um, yeah, thanks for the invite to be with you today. And um, please keep your Bibles open there to Psalm, Psalm 91. Let's just pray and ask for God's help as we uh, look at this psalm. Uh, a great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the chance now to look at your word together. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things uh, from your word. Uh, we pray it for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Well, we're in Psalm 91 today, as has been said and just read for us. Um, Dave emailed me during the week and said, did you choose this psalm because it's Anzac Day coming up? And I had to say that no, it, it was actually more providence than planning. Um, but this psalm actually has been called the Soldier's Psalm. Um, during World War I, many soldiers recited this psalm uh, every day. Uh, and apparently one commander of the 91st Brigade gave it to his men uh, on a little card, the 91st Psalm, because it is a psalm about protection and security and uh, safety. And I remember preaching on this psalm once, and an old retired pastor in the church came up to me afterwards, and he said, did you know that that's, that's the World War Psalm? And I said, no, I didn't. Um, but his wife was, um, was a German lady and she'd lived through the war. And you can imagine, can't you, uh, what it must have meant to people uh, to read these words uh, going through something like that. Uh, a psalm that speaks of a shelter, a refuge, a fortress, a safe place, um, somewhere to hide. Um, to know not just the mighty uh, that are out there raging war, but to know the almighty. Uh, to know not just those who are high and powerful, but to know the most high. Not just the shelter, but the shadow. Not just a military defence, but a mother hen. Uh, not just a bunker to dwell in, but a bed to rest in. Not just the cold comfort of concrete, but the softness and warmth of feathers. Because they're the two images that we've got here, aren't they? Both... Um, a rampart and a shield, a, a fortress and a defence and a shelter, but also of a mother hen sort of gathering her chicks under her wings. Not just safety in warfare, but wings of tenderness. And the psalmist is saying that God's faithfulness is like that. It's a beautiful link, I think, to think of Anzac Day and Psalm 91 but it's not the reason I chose this psalm. I chose this psalm because it's not just soldiers who need a refuge, it's civilians. We all need Psalm 91. And you can see the proposition that's at the, it's like a heading really, isn't it? Verse 1 at the, the very beginning. Uh, and it is this inclusive language, it's an invitation. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. There's the proposition. Just putting it out there. Verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then you can see that the psalmist uh, takes on that personal position himself, doesn't he, in verse 2. Because he says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So he's adopting verse 1 as his own personal stance, his own uh, position in life. And um, this is where he goes to when times get tough. This is where he turns in when times are hard. 
And then he has the audacity to recommend this, doesn't he, to others. Here's the proposition in verse 1. It's his personal statement in verse 2. But in verse 3, he's now commending this to others, isn't he? Because uh, verse 3 says, Surely he, that is God, will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. And then if you jump down uh, to verse 9, uh, if you will say, the Lord is my refuge. See, he's, he's told us his position, and now he's saying, if only you will say that as well, then you too will find this to be true in your life. And then he lists for us in verses 5 and 6 all the things that we won't need to worry about. You'll not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that strikes in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And the point really is that you won't need to fear anything, whether it's at night or during the day, whether it's seen or unseen. As you walk through the battlefield of this life, well, verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. And the promises of protection in this psalm, in verses uh, 10 to 12, are incredible, aren't they? Have a look at them there. Uh, no harm, literally no evil. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Isn't that language incredible? Too much, almost, to say? It's so absolute, isn't it? It's the all and the every. This is not the promises of a guardian angel. You might have heard people speak of a guardian angel. That's not the language here, isn't it? It's, it's the hosts of heaven. It's the full army, not just one. He will command his angels concerning you. And you won't even stub your toe on a rock. In fact, you'll do the unthinkable. Have a look at verse 13. You'll tread on the lion and the cobra. You'll trample the great lion and the serpent. Well, if this had come up on my phone, I think I would have deleted it. I would certainly be checking the number to see if this wasn't a scam. Some sort of false advertising, because it sounds to me too good to be true, doesn't it? Because let's be honest, to take this kind of view is surely naive, isn't it? Or sim simplistic at best, if not misleading or dangerous at worst, to promise this kind of absolute protection in life. So I want to ask the question this morning, how do we make sense, or this afternoon I should say, how do we make sense of a psalm like this? Well, firstly, we need to finish it. We need to hear God himself speak to us in verses 14 to 15. Because up until now, it's just been the psalmists speaking, isn't it? He's given us the proposition, he's told us his personal position, and then he's had the audacity to recommend that to us. 
but that's just his word against mine. But in verse 14, the Lord himself thunders into the conversation and says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. See, however we read verse 10, no harm will overtake you, Surely it has to be read in the context of verse 15, where God says, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, I think the implication is, from trouble. And isn't this the assumption of all the Psalms? Not that God would spare us or exempt us, but that he himself will be with us and bring us through ultimately, and in the end, we'll experience his salvation. So, I think as we read this psalm, the first thing we need to do is to hear God himself speak at the end of it. The second thing I think we need to do is to beware of the devil, because it's interesting, isn't it, that um, where this psalm is quoted in the New Testament, it's quoted by the devil. You can read it in Matthew 4, in that section of Jesus' temptation. And the devil tempts Jesus using the words of this psalm. Look, he won't he, you know, uh, won't his angels bear you up? It seems to me that the only person in the scriptures who took this psalm as a protection for physical um, well-being was the devil. I think we need to read this psalm thirdly as a poem, as it is. It's, it's a song, it's a poem. Uh, and if I were to write a song for my wife, um, which I haven't, but if I were um, to, to write a song for my wife and to say, um, you are my everything, you are my sunshine, you are my moon, the air that I breathe. Well, I don't actually mean that I no longer need the sun to shine on me. I don't actually mean that I no longer need oxygen to breathe. Now, I'm not saying something false, am I? When I write something like that to my wife, I'm saying something, hopefully, very powerfully, uh, and hopefully something that represents a truth. And because I've expressed it like that doesn't make it any less true, hopefully it makes it more impactful. Hopefully it takes it from the head to the heart. And I think that's what we've got here, isn't it? We've got a poem. So that when we read of a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings, we are not to imagine that God himself has feathers. I could write uh, to my wife the bare proposition, you are important, but it may not have the same effect. The aim is to evoke feelings, to evoke a response that goes beyond mere mental comprehension 
to the heart. And in the same way, the Psalms, aren't they beautiful? Aren't they wonderful? As they give us the full range of emotions and bring us to speak to God and to hear from God. Not just the bare proposition, God will help you, but hear a full song. And so I wonder, when we read verse 10, no harm, no disaster, perhaps we should read it as it is. A poem. Making a point, but perhaps going beyond. Using hyperbole, using the purposeful exaggeration. And actually expressing a powerful truth that in the end will become true, as we'll see. So we need to hear God himself speak. We need to beware of the devil. We need to read the poem as a poem and we need to remember David. There were times, weren't there, when for David, no harm overtook him. No disaster came near his tent where he called on the Lord and the Lord answered him. David did find that God was with him in trouble. David did find that God delivered him time and time and time again, and God honoured him, and God did show him his salvation. In fact, David says at least 43 times in the Psalms, God is my refuge. And in the end, he could say in 2 Samuel 4, 9, that the Lord had delivered him out of every adversity. But it came in the context, well, of the lion and the bear. It came in the context of Goliath and the Philistines. It came in the context of Saul and his ever-present spear. It came in the context of him running for his life and hiding in caves. We need to remember David, don't we? Was it true for David? You bet it was true. But it came in that context, didn't it? We need need to remember Israel. This is Israel's songbook. It's their psalm book. This is their, their liturgy, isn't it? The book of Psalms. And the Lord saved them from the deadly pestilence, didn't he? As the plague swept over Egypt, God said, I'll make a distinction between you and the Egyptians. It'll come on them, but it won't come near you. And the angel of death, as it came over in that last final plague, they didn't need to fear the terror of the night because no harm overtook them. No disaster came near their tent. God commanded his angels concerning them. A thousand did fall at their side, 10,000 at their right hand. Do you remember? They were drowned in the sea, washed up on the shores. But it didn't come near them. They walked through on dry ground. They observed it with their eyes. 
they saw the punishment of the wicked. They called on the Lord and He answered them. And God showed them His salvation. But it came in the context of Egypt. Slavery and harsh taskmasters. And it only seemed to get worse, didn't it, before it got better? And finally, we need to think about Jesus, don't we? Not just David and Israel, but the Lord Jesus himself. We sang at Easter, see the stone is rolled away, behold the empty tomb. Hallelujah, God be praised. He's risen from the grave. But it came in the context of beaten, mocked and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Was it true for Jesus? Yes. So what about us? Well, God's promise here is beautiful, isn't it? It's overwhelmingly Him. Did you notice that in those last verses? He promises to rescue, protect, answer, be with, deliver, honour, satisfy and save. If only we will love, acknowledge and call. I don't know if you know the story of Elizabeth Elliot. It's a powerful story. Um, Her and husband went as missionaries to the Indians of uh, Ecuador. And she wrote a biography of her husband, Jim, and she used this psalm to pen the title. She called it Shadow of the Almighty. This is what she says. I listened to a a clip on YouTube of her speaking herself. And at the end of um, that address, she said these words. She said, my message could never be temporal blessing, physical protection, exemption from calamity and disaster. The New Testament shows us there is a deeper, far more far-reaching meaning to his protection. My husband Jim, she says, was killed by the Indians. It's quite interesting that she chose this psalm because here it speaks of the arrow, verse 4, that flies by the day. Her husband was killed by an arrow. She talks about how God could very have easily turned it away. My husband, my second husband, she says, died of cancer. But I'm here to tell you tonight, she said, and I thought very interestingly, she said, with joy. That I am learning. I don't say that I have learned, but it's a lesson that God patiently and graciously teaches me over and over again down through the years, I am learning to dwell in that refuge. To live under the shadow of the Almighty. She says, I can say with the Apostle Paul, not that I know why God has done what he has done, not that I know what exactly God is doing, But I can say with Paul, I know whom 
I have believed and I am absolutely sure that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. Jesus said in the last book of the Bible, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I died and I'm alive. And I have the keys. You see, because Jesus died and because he is alive, we don't ever, ever again need to be afraid. In the words of Colin Buchanan, God loves his children like the chookie loves her chickens. The mother hen will gather them underneath her wing. So when you're sad or sorry, when you're scared or when you worry, I suggest you hurry to the shelter of God's wing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a refuge and a fortress and that you long to gather your people as a mother hen. Father, would you be gathering us even now? Would you draw us more and more to find every comfort, every joy, in the Lord Jesus, we might treasure him, that we might know his loving care and protection and help us, Lord God, to trust you through the storm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.